we're wrapping up the day in the book of Daniel. Let's see how much time do I got? Okay. Hours. How many people were here last week? Oh my gosh. And you came back. <laughs> what? Like after I scared the pants off of everybody with the end of the world, the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff, and you came back. That's so cool. Okay, so just so you know, last week uh, we talked about Daniel's prophecy of end times because Daniel, was he was... He was a man of such character that God could trust him with prophetic revelation of the, of the end of the world. And he's just like, what? Like, he couldn't even handle it. So God's like, okay, you've seen too much. Let me roll the scroll up, and we'll open it up on John next, you know, a couple hundred years later, whatever. And this insight that he has, well, first of all, this is kind of review the book of Daniel real quick. There is the, the incredible stories of faith, which we all know from Sunday school. It is faith during difficult times. It is that faith we put into the Lord when it could be the end. When nothing, like, like, we're, like we're done. It's the end of the line. We're going to die. Like God, there's no provision. It's like, it's bleak. In the bleakest of circumstances, Daniel tells us to never give up on faith. And so this is the great stories that we get from Daniel in the lion's den and, and, the, and then the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I love those stories, right? We, I mean, we remember them from, from being a kid if you had the opportunity to go to Sunday school. The next major theme in Daniel is this whole idea of being in the world, but not of the world. How do you actually survive in a pluralistic society? And what Daniel was living and what he was experiencing is almost identical to what we experience now. Even though that we are a Christian nation, quote unquote, uh, it is a, we got it all, right? You can be any religion you want. If you don't like any of the religions that are out there, you could literally make up your own and get a 501c3 and not pay taxes. So, I mean, you can, it's amazing what the freedom that we have. In addition to just the pluralism and beliefs and philosophies and religions, all the other crazy stuff that, that's going on in our world, from us being over-sexualized to... Anyway, you know, you know where I'm going with it. It is super complex. And so uh, how do we do it? How do we maintain our identity as Christians? How do we keep the strength in, 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 the, in who God has called us? One of the most interesting points in Daniel is the very beginning, chapter 1 and chapter 2, when the boys get hauled off into slavery, into captivity. You know what the first thing that the enemy did? He changed their names. Before he started cracking the whip, before he started manipulating them, before he started, before they started rewiring those kids' minds to serve the king, to serve the court, to think a certain way, to act a certain way, to dress a certain way, before they, before they begin to put all the pressure on, they literally changed their names, their identities. Their initial identities were God-given. Daniel. I, don't, I forgot what Dan is, but we all know what L means. L means God. So Daniel is probably a servant of God. And the Babylonians changed his name to Belshazzar, which means servant of Bel. Or, I mean, if I can really push it, we can even say that Bel is the devil. That's probably where we get a lot of the imagery for the devil himself. 
So they just said, you know what? We're not going to say that you're a servant of God anymore. We are going to name you a servant of the devil. That's how extreme it was. And he had to go by that name. The king called him that name. Could you imagine that? Uh, you know, the guys that got thrown into the fiery furnace. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their names. That, those are the names that the world gave them. The enemy of God gave them those names based off of other gods. But their real names, the names that we should, that we should have memorized, that it's still hard to memorize, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their God-given names. Those are what we should call them. That is how they are known in heaven. And we are too. Like when we find ourselves in this world and we become a little bit like the world, we begin to lose our name. The name that God gave us. The identity that God gave us. We are known in heaven in certain ways. He sees you as you don't even see yourselves. And this is the incredible story that we get from Daniel. Like the guy knew who he was in the Lord. That is why he is so successful. And this is why God trusted him. Like not just with words of knowledge... Not just with, you know, the contemporary prophet stuff like, you know, you guys are bad and you need to straighten up. Not just with that kind of prophecy, but like the big picture, the end of the world stuff. Daniel saw it all and he even gets to see the coming of the Messiah. It's absolutely mind boggling. And as far as we know, Daniel did nothing wrong. Like there is no record of his sin in the book. And yet he confesses his sin. Isn't that cool? All right. So let's take a look at some of the crazy prophecy stuff. I mean, I just like, I know I just, did I freak everybody out last week? You guys okay? Are you super paranoid right now? Reading conspiracy theories? I do that. I should not do that, but it happens. And so I'm confessing right now. I get sucked into that kind of stuff. All right, so let me just uh, let me just kind of re- revisit this crazy prophecy stuff that Daniel came up with, not came up with, but he was that was revealed to him. And the the, the one of the point for it, the reason why I want to do it is I want to show you how cool the book is. First of all, like like this is your sword. This thing is amazing and it's real and it's accurate. Uh, all right, so let's go to. Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. He had quite a few visions. After the one that I had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the, in the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. Now, okay, why is that important? Because Daniel's not there. This is a different country. Right now, he's in Iraq, and he's having a vision of himself in Iran, like thousands of miles away. Completely different culture, completely different country. And he's having a vision of himself on this river, and he sees something very important, okay? I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns grew longer than the other, uh, than the other, but grew up later. 
I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and toward the north and toward the south, and no animal could stand against it, and no one could rescue it, rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. All right. Weird, right? A ram with two big giant horns, one's longer than the other. So what? Okay. Like from last week, this is biblical imagery. And this is symbolizing the country, the nation of Persia and, and media. It's a, they, they went into an alliance together, and there were two powers. Whenever the Bible talks about horns, it's referencing a power. And so this is saying, no, this, this animal has two powers, and one is the, the Medes, and the other power is the, is the Persians. And the Persians came up later, but it's going to grow longer, and they're going to conquer everything. Got it? All right. Um, as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came out from the west. So basically a unicorn. Okay? A goat with a horn coming out of the middle. It's either a weird-looking goat or a unicorn. I have an active imagination. Can't we just believe for unicorns? Right? Yeah, all right, let's do that. It's a unicorn. It's in the Bible. Unicorns exist. They're real. All right. Came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram and I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him with great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground, trampled on him. No one could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became, excuse me, the unicorn became very great. Emphasize the word great. But at his height of power, his large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up from the four winds of heaven. Okay, so again, another weird imagery. So did you catch the part where this unicorn, it's like, it's like the cartoons that my kids watch. This unicorn is flying. It's like its feet, it says that its feet didn't touch the ground. It moved so fast and it destroyed this ram with lightning speed. And it came from west, from the west. Uh, in, in chapter, a little, little bit later, chapter 8 and chapter 9, it actually tells us who it is. It's the, it's the king of Greece. Do you remember that great part? This is Alexander the Great. And he did, he is the greatest field tactician that, that's ever lived. He conquered all of the whole known world by the age of 32. And then he died suddenly. And then, so that's the horn, right? He is the power. He is the strength. He is the driving force. And then out of this unicorn, there's four more horns. His, his kingdom gets divided up into four kingdoms. The Seleucids, the Ptolemies, and the Seleucs, and somebody, somebody else. Why is that important? Because... Daniel is predicting this in detail before Alexander the Great is even near getting born. We're talking 400 years in the future. It is so precise that biblical scholars, if you believe, I mean, I'll be nice, but people that study Scripture, they don't do it for spiritual reasons. They do it for academic reasons. They say, that's just not possible. You can't hit that level of accuracy. 
And so, therefore, Daniel was written later. It was, it was not written in 600 B.C. It was written in 200 B.C. That's what they have to do because it is so accurate. But there's other major problems that the scholars won't talk about. And that's the next one of the 77s. Now, I'm not going to do this justice because I don't have time. So, uh, is anybody good at math? I'm not. I kind of like failed math a couple of times. But let's turn with me to chapter 9. Okay, so where people would say, you know what, he wrote that after the fact. This one, they, have, they say, is a coincidence. Chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, Mede by descent, so we're now in another kingdom, another, another king, another ruler, another empire, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood the scripture according, uh, uh, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet. So Jeremiah was sending the captives letters. He was sending them email from Jerusalem encouraging them, telling them what's going to happen, saying, you know what? You guys are in a bad spot, and it's not going to get any better for about 70 years. So hunker down, make the best of things. It's time to make lemons, lemonade out of lemons right now. You're not getting out for another 70 years. Jeremiah tells this to Daniel and all the guys. So I turned to the Lord. This is verse 3. Turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer. Uh, petitioning and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed. Now, I love this prayer. We can't get the whole thing. But I want you to listen to some of the language that's used. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all, all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have we have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to the kings and our princesses and our fathers and all the people in the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. Okay, here's the thing that I want to point out. He just continues. He continues to, to lament. He continues to confess sin. He continues to say, you know what? Uh, we, we messed up. He, then he says stuff like, God, heal our land. God, come and deliver us. And what I want to get across to you is his prayer language. Like, Daniel, I don't, he's just a stud, man. Right? I mean, he's just, like, spiritually, he's got it all together. We need to aspire to be like him. And the secret is in how he prays. In his prayer language, he uses we, our, and your. How does Jesus pray? Our God in heaven. Uh, chapters earlier, we see Nebuchadnezzar say a really lousy prayer. Where Daniel starts off with saying, uh, Oh, great and, and awesome and powerful Oz. Not thing, checking to see if you're paying attention. We have sinned. That, so Daniel starts off acknowledging God's imminent power, his divine power. Where Nebuchadnezzar, even though he is going into relationship with the Lord, like when Nebuchadnezzar writes his prayer, he's probably saved. 
He's, he's beginning the process of submitting to the Lord. The problem with Nebuchadnezzar is, like, one, he's a guy. And two, he's a king. And it's all about him. He says, oh, in my majesty, I prayed to the Lord about my dream. And God, come and fix my situation. Do you see the difference? So there are... And I'm not saying that these aren't legitimate. I mean, because we are to bring our petitions and our needs before the Lord. And I do know that you have personal stuff going on, and it needs God's attention. But I just want to encourage you. Like, as you begin to grow spiritually, let's be a little bit more like Daniel and a lot less like Nebuchadnezzar, who was self-centered. Because all of his prayers revolved around him. They were all introspective. Where Daniel's prayers are all about the community. They're all about the family. So when you pray for your family, say, God, heal our family heal my our marriage instead of saying heal my marriage say heal our marriage does that make sense god heal our nation not you know god take care of so and so so this is this is the attitude that he has this is one of the areas that he begins to 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 earn god's favor in a sense he's already got god's love you already have God's love, too. The question is, do you have God's favor, or do you have the favor of man? Either one. Okay, so then he goes on with the prayer. Uh, I'll just close it with verse 19. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act for your name's sake. Oh, my God, do not delay, because your city, okay, catch this, your city and your people, what? Bear your name. How are you known in heaven? Whose name do you have? You have God's name on you. It's got a completely different perspective than the carnal Nebuchadnezzar. All right, ready for this? Hang on. Gotta maybe got to turn your thinking caps on. It's going to be kind of hard. I got home like at 1.45 last night. So I'm a little punchy. We'll see how this goes. And again, I failed math. All right, here we go. Let's give it a shot. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord before God on his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have come to you. Oh, this is so cool. I have come to you. To give you insight and understanding. Can I get an amen? I want Gabriel to come and give me some insight and some understanding. That would be nice. As soon as he began to pray, an answer was given. This is how our God works, by the way. Like, if if you're, like, whining and complaining and, and griping a lot to the Lord, like... Chances are he's already answered your prayer. You're just not aware of it. He answers his prayer the moment Daniel opens his mouth and begins to pray. He answers it before he even has a chance to ask. Isn't that cool? So again, that gets into the attitude of the heart, the area of the heart. As soon as he began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. All right, here we go. 
Seventy sevens are decreed for you and your people and your holy city to finish, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be 70 sevens and 62 sevens. It will uh, it will be rebuilt with streets and trenches, but uh, inside of times of trouble. All right. So let me stop there. All right. Uh, math people, what's 70 sevens? Okay, so we're going to stop there. There's some other little math that we've got to do. But 490. The decree, a few, uh, about 100 years later, in the book of Nehemiah. We like this book as a church, by the way. It's not chronological. I don't know why our Bibles aren't chronological. Like, we should have, I don't know, had somebody else organize the Bible. But if you go back you'll actually go into the future. So into the future, from the time of Daniel, uh, we are now, Babylon's long gone. We are now in the Persian Empire. We're before Alexander the Great. And uh, Nehemiah has probably, at some level, has been influenced by the great Daniel at some sort. Daniel is also probably responsible for uh, the wise men that come and visit Jesus, the Magi. He probably had something to do with it. I can't prove it, but I want to believe. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the new Persian king. He has the privilege to taste the guy's drink to make sure that there's not any poison in it. How would you like to have that job? You just need, like, you got to have God on your side on that one. Talk about faith, right? You're just, like, playing Russian roulette with the drink every time. You just don't know what's going to happen. But with that level of risk and trust, Nehemiah became a huge administrator. He, he functioned just like Daniel did. He became, like, the number two guy. He had so much ridiculous favor with the king that, well, you'll find out. So, he's again, he's, like, the number two guy. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This cannot be but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my Fathers are buried, lives in ruin, and it's been and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said, "Ready, pagan king, folks, non-believing king. He's the bad guy. He's the enemy." And he looks at Nehemiah and he says, "What is it you want? What do you want? You begin to earn God's favor and the favor of men, and then kings are going to ask you, what do you want?'" What do you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, your servant has found favor in his sight. Let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild. All right, for the sake of time, let me just paraphrase the whole thing to you. He says, King, I want to I go all the way back to Jerusalem. He's like thousands and thousands of miles away, several different countries away. 
says, send me back to my to the to Jerusalem, God's holy hill, God's holy city. Send me back there so that we can rebuild it. Artaxerxes issues a decree. A legal decree. And some 490 years later, on the day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the horse. Just as Daniel predicted. To the day. And you know what Bible scholars do with that one? They say, it's coincidence. They say it's coincidence because we have older versions of Daniel that predate Jesus. So they've got a huge problem that nobody talks about it. I'm going to talk about it because I think it's cool. Because it proves the Bible is true. Because it proves that God's word is true. 490 years before Jesus came, Daniel predicts him entering in on the month of Nisan, February, March, the month of Passover. The very month, the very year, almost the very day. I'm sorry, you have to do the math. I was going to get a whiteboard up here, but like I know I'd put you to sleep. Isn't that amazing? And what I want to, what I want to tell you, because if you were here last week, when I talked about the Antichrist, I talked about the end of the world. I don't want to get, eschatology is a big fancy word for end time studies. There's different views on the end times in, you know, in church tradition. There's entire denominations split over the end of the world. I don't really care because Jesus is coming back. Three major camps. There's three major camps. There's pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib rapture. That means that Jesus is going to come and take us off the planet. A, this is the one I'm rooting for. A, he takes us off, takes us off the planet before everything goes south. Right? That, let's pray for that one. Mid-trib is, and Daniel actually, this is, for, this is really annoying because Daniel talks about this. He says, uh, and, you know, he says, and they, again, you get, you get really weird with this. You can fall into conspiracy stuff. But Daniel says, okay, and then there's going to be uh, two times and then a times and then a half a time, which is three and a half years. So then the, there's a seven-year tribulation. So halfway through it, they say, this is mid-trib, Jesus is going to come back and take us out of all the bad stuff that's going to happen. Not as bad. And then there's post-trib. That means, like, we've got to go through it all. And no one can agree on which one is right. It doesn't matter. And I don't, it's not my desire to breed fear. I want us to look at Daniel. If you think about his life, if you think about his circumstance, and if you think about his situation, I'm just going to get a little crass. Like, it sucked. And the kid was taken from his family at a young age. His, his community was destroyed. Who knows what happened to his family? He was forced to be a slave and do God knows what. He maintained his faith in every difficult situation. He didn't bow to the gods of a polytheistic society, which is what we live in right now. Cultural impulses, temptations, pulls. He didn't bow to any of that. He was obedient to prophetic insight. We know that he served four major kings and in two major empires. 
For somebody that's life was so bad, this is what you need to get. If you pray like Daniel prays, if you're faithful like Daniel is, if you don't, if you don't bow to the cultural gods of the time, if you don't succumb to this present evil age, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Like Wormwood, that big giant asteroid out of the sky is going to come down and hit the planet. It doesn't matter because in each and every bad situation, if we live like Daniel, we will prosper. He became number two for Nebuchadnezzar, the vice president, the viceroy. Like in my imagination, like he designed and created the seventh wonder of the world. I mean, the hanging gardens of Babylon. I've got no proof for that at all, but I believe it. I want to believe. Why not? Why wouldn't God use somebody so gifted and created to make a seventh wonder of the world? I think Daniel was a part of that. I can't prove it. I'm sorry. But it's all in the same timeline, by the way. It fits fits the narrative. He was given so much wealth. He had so much influence with Nebuchadnezzar, he saved Nebuchadnezzar from hell, which is on par with saving Hitler from hell. Could you imagine if somebody would have had that kind of favor with Hitler and led Hitler to the Lord? That's not fair, right? I wouldn't do it. I'd let the sucker burn. I mean, right? Isn't that our human nature? But Daniel had God's heart, and he wasn't willing to let Nebuchadnezzar burn. He converted him. It's crazy to think about that. Oh, I got to stop. Look at his influence. Two empires, at least four kings. Uh, Belshazzar, the guy that had the writing on the wall, he appoints him to number three, but technically it was number two. Belshazzar was not the king. Belshazzar was the prince. Uh, archaeology, archaeology proves this one, by the way. Um, so Daniel was vice president at least twice and given so much money. We believe he had uh, influence over Cyrus. Cyrus is the guy that finally frees everybody, sends them all back to Jerusalem. And guess what else he does? He finances it all. He rebuilds the temple with his own money. Nehemiah, is play, he's taken rules from Daniel's playbook. He, he, he's serving a king. He's number two, just like Daniel was. He says, send me back to Jerusalem. And on the day they re- start rebuilding the city, the day that it's declared, Jesus is he's predicted on the day to come. Nehemiah goes back. He says, what do you want? You know what Nehemiah wanted? And you know what Nehemiah got? He got everything. He got money. He got armies. He got transportation. He got influence. He got all the power of the most powerful empire in the world to rebuild Jerusalem. And he did it. And then he did something that we just need to get as, as a church family. Like they built the walls with a family unit. Moms and dads building the wall. Uncle Bob had his hand on the sword. The kids were getting the bricks. They built that thing together. All because they believed, no matter what the circumstances were, they were going to live in blessing. They're going to live in prosperity. Look, this is a mindset, brothers and sisters. This is a mindset we've got to get. We need to break a poverty mindset that says we're going to be slaves. We're going to succumb to the cultural whims, the cultural norms. No, we need to be different. We need to rename ourselves, at least in spirit. I'm not saying change your name. Don't do that. But just be true to who you are and God's called you to be. Just do that. All right, let me get the band to come up to the front.
So that's the take home. Like, it could, look, the church is the bride of Christ, right? And inside, again, we don't know how it's all going to play out. We don't know how it's going to play out. We don't know if AI is going to take over the world. That's my most current one. Last week, that was it. The Antichrist is AI. I, I mean, I, it, it, it makes complete sense. Look it up. I thought I had an original thought. Then I got on YouTube and everybody else is thinking the same thing. In the midst of Armageddon, if we even have to go through that, the bride of Christ, the church is designed and meant to be powerful designed and meant to be prosperous designed and meant to be a blessing in the midst of hell hell on earth the bride of Christ is not meant to be a train wreck that Jesus comes to rescue the bride of Christ is blessed and powerful and so that, that is your hope. That is your future. When we begin to move forward, no matter how bad the world gets, if it seems like it's falling apart, you can be blessed in the midst of falling apart. You can prosper in the midst of falling apart. You can be wealthy, rich, and wise in the midst of falling apart. It takes work. You have to be like Daniel. You have to pray prayers that are not selfish. You have to, you have to think generosity. You have to think kingdom mindset. You have to believe in, in the dreams that God's given you, and, and he will do it. He will, come, he will make it come to pass. Uh, let me get the ushers to come to the front. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the work that you did here today. I thank you for the lives that were changed, the impartation that took place in this year of Jubilee, in this year of blessing, in this year of canceled debts. God, we say yes and amen to canceled debts. God, we pray, we say yes and amen to the, the forgiveness that, that we need and the forgiveness that we need to give to others, God, in this year of Jubilee. And God, we just know that you're going to just do incredible things. God, what, what, what was going on today in this service? If, if this is a milestone, may we not forget it. May we not forget it. Touch our hearts, Lord. Transform us all. Thank you so much that... You gave Daniel the vision of Jesus. I pray you give us the vision of Jesus, riding into his holy city in victory. I pray this in your name. Give us the vision of Jesus having victory in our lives. I pray this in your name. Amen.